Good day to all our listeners. I am JV from the Lighthouse Arabia with you today to cast light on yet another significant wellness topic. To quote Leonard Cohen, there's a crack, a crack in everything. That is how the light comes in. With me today, I have Ashling Prendergast, one of our clinicians, and we're going to have a conversation regarding grief, and especially grief during this time of COVID-19. Welcome, Ashling, and it's lovely to have you here with me today. Thank you, JV. It's lovely to be with you virtually. It's nice. What strange times are we in that (laughs) we... that we connect via via virtual platforms. But it's on the other side also so amazing that we are able to continue connecting and continue engaging. Um, so I'm really, I feel really privileged to be able to have this interview with you or a discussion with you regarding yeah. grief. Um, if, if I just reflect on, on this period, mm-hmm. um, I've been acutely aware of the dire situation of some of my clients, Mm -hmm. friends, Mm -hmm. um, and and acquaintances who have lost someone in this time. So grief, on the one side, grief of the loss of a a family member or a friend, but there has been multiple losses in this time. So grief Mm -hmm. is at, at the core of of our experience of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, share with us maybe about, about what you have noticed and specifically regarding grief and, and how it played out during this last four months for us. I would absolutely agree with you, JV, and I think there's there's lots of, of literature around at the moment about how the kind of best way, I guess, to describe what's happened during COVID-19 has been grief in many different aspects and many different forms for people. But specifically with bereavement, you know, I think grief has, I guess, developed an even different form and has become, if possible, even more impactful in people's lives. I mean, bereavement is, we know, one of the worst things that anybody can go through at any point in their lives. But to have to go through it during COVID-19 is an extremely, extremely traumatic event. Um, I think there's many different parts and reasons to that. Um, Number one being obviously that our whole worlds and our whole lives have turned upside down. And when you lose somebody and when you're bereaved, your whole world and your whole life turns upside down as well. So to to double that, to put layer upon layer upon layer of that, it's it's completely overwhelming and it has been completely overwhelming for people and incredibly traumatic. I think, you know, there's no experience like it. There's nothing to <clears throat> base it on. There's nothing to go on with it. So to be able to understand it and process it is taking far longer and is taking a huge, a huge toll on people for sure. Yeah. Because it's, it's unprecedented times. And I've heard that word so many times in this last yeah. four months. But it truly yeah. is that because we have no template, we have no framework to, mm-hmm. to guide us in as to how to navigate our way. And now we're talking today specifically about grief and bereavement and loss 
to navigate our way through this, because as you mm. said, there's layers to it. There's mm. maybe losses in, in income, in uh, social structure, mm. in identity, in mm. dreams and, and, and aspirations. And to put yeah. on top of that, the loss of someone to death mm. just is a compound effect. Mm-hmm. What I hear is you, you've mentioned different terms now, um, grief and bereavement mm-hmm. um, and trauma. Mm-hmm. Would you maybe explain a bit the difference between grief and bereavement um, mm-hmm. f- for our listeners? How do you define the two? What's grief and what's bereavement? I think it's a really good question, JB. And I guess... Sometimes I use them interchangeably, but I, in my opinion, I guess they are slightly different because for me, grief can happen with anything, with any loss. We can grieve and we do grieve any loss or any change or big transition or, or um, you know, something that doesn't stay the same in our lives. We can grieve that and there can be many different things to that. And, and I'll actually come back to that. Whereas to me, a bereavement is the passing of a loved one, whether that's, you know, a family member or a friend. And I would also include that with, you know, like family pets as well, because they can be, um, you know, members of people's family too. Whereas I think, you know, a bereavement, maybe we could call it like a primary loss and then everything else that we can grieve either as a result of a bereavement or not is a secondary loss. So like a loss of income, a loss of, Um, future hopes and dreams, a loss of being able to graduate, a loss of being able to attend a funeral, a loss of being able to um, see your niece for the first time. Mm -hmm. All of these things are still losses and we're still allowed to grieve them. And actually there's something that that's called disenfranchised grief because not only is the loss not necessarily acknowledged by society, but also the griever isn't acknowledged by society. So there's almost this kind of without any malice or bad intention from society of, well, nobody died, so get on with it. You know, it's not mm. that bad, so mm. get on with this. So I think that actually those losses are incredibly difficult to deal with as well and incredibly difficult to acknowledge. So the griever who is maybe, you know, dealing with a disenfranchised grief or a secondary loss doesn't feel that they have the space or the permission to allow their feelings, which is going to compound the feelings even more and prolong them even more, make them so much more complicated and difficult to manage. Yes, definitely. To, to summarize what, what I hear is that, and, and maybe even heightened in this time, Mm. is a process of grief due to secondary losses and changes and transitions. But along with that, also bereavement, Mm. the the primary loss of someone close. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And then within this framework and within the complexity of all of this compounding, that it's very easy that those disenfranchised loss or grief, um, if I, is that the right word? Absolutely. Can very yeah. easily go undetected. Yeah, even by ourselves. But yes, because yeah. given we are in the midst of a pandemic, mm. something <laughs> might be seemingly insignificant yeah. within yeah. the bigger frame and within the bigger picture. 
that we ourselves um, deny the impact or the extent to which that is um, weighing on us or, 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 or for sure or changing or hurting us. For sure. for sure. And I mean, even something like, you know, for thousands of millions of people across the world who haven't been able to graduate and to have closure, you know, from years and years of education or to have their prom or, you know, to have whatever it is to, to mark endings, to have their rituals in the way that we used to. And, you know, I guess people kind of consider that they should just get on with it. And, you know, maybe even family members consider that they should just get on with it. And yet we can't then figure out why people are feeling low or they're struggling or, you know, this or that. But actually, if we think of it as a grieving process and the amount of time that a grieving process takes, that can actually help us to have some compassion with it and allow it to move through because these huge emotions and this complex range of thoughts, feelings and, and reactions that come with grief, it needs time, it needs space for every type of grief, every sort of grief. Okay. But seemingly smaller grief and, and, and the bigger grief. And too. the bigger grief. What is a typical process? Well, typical, it's, it's a <laughs> oversimplification of it, but what does a grief process look like? Um, and I'm asking you that question because I remember way back when I did my training, we were still trained in the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model where there's very specific stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in time within research and science and psychology, it has changed a bit yeah. over the years. But what does a grieving or a bereavement process entail? I think it's a really good question, JV, because you're right. That was also the training that I I received. And I actually remember like trying to to memorize um, like uh, some way to to remember the different stages. And I came up with Dabda for Kubler-Ross with, you know, the the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression, and then the acceptance. And it's it has stayed with me for X amount of years. Um, I won't press you for for, for the years. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, and that was the framework. And that's what everybody kind of still sticks with. I mean, obviously, it was a very powerful kind of piece of information that everybody touched on to because everybody wanted to know, okay, Mm -hmm. when when the worst thing in the world happens to me and I lose somebody, how do I manage it? What's going to happen? What's it going to look like? Because we want to be able to... I guess, know the next steps when our whole world feels like it's in shadows. And actually, I think that a a normal process or a normal trajectory for grief or bereavement looks really different for for everybody. You know, as we spoke about earlier, everybody will have a different blueprint. Everybody will have a different past and a different present and a different relationship with their loved ones, which is going to make their grieving process different and unique. So I guess it starts off with usually, and, and you know, maybe not for everybody, but more of an acute mm. kind of stage or phase of the grief where people almost can tend to feel slightly numb or disconnected or totally in shock because I think our minds just can't process it at that time. It's too overwhelming. You know, it's too much to take. So logically people have, you know, 
of course, acknowledged that somebody has died and is no longer with them or a loss has occurred. But to emotionally reconcile that loss or that bereavement takes far, far longer. And that's the, that's the thing that's unique to everybody. That's the period that's different and individual for everybody. And that will take however long it will take. But we know the more that we block it or we suppress it or we fight it, actually the more the more our struggle and the longer it can take to pass through. And the difficult thing about grief is that, you know, we hear lots of myths around it that time heals or you'll accept it or you'll move on or the first year is the worst. And fortunately or unfortunately, none of those things are true because I think we learn to live with grief. Once we, once we start to process and reconcile and allow and make space for the pain, that struggle, that shift of not being so afraid of it or not running away from it or running away from this crashing wave behind you, that can actually help to create some sense of, I guess, space for the grief so that we learn to live with it rather than running away from it or fighting it or so afraid that it's going to take us and absolutely drown us. Yeah. It's, it's not that straightforward thing. No. Because as you say, it, it, it depends on each individual's history, yeah. what previous losses you've experienced, your temperament, yeah. what support you have. Mm -hmm. But also, I hear you mentioned, it depends also on the relationship with that person that mm -hmm. you've lost. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, there, there are no clear steps. Mm. There's no template to follow. Mm. But we are wired in, in a way that we want certainty, we want answers, we want, we want life to be predictable because then we can manage it. So if I know what's the next step, I can put it in a framework that normalizes it for me. Mm. Um, and, and as you've said, it's an individual process there. It depends. It depends from person to person, but we know yeah. it takes time. Yes. And we have to bear it. We mm. have to be with it. We have to go through it. Mm -hmm. um, and it might be that you'll have to live with that mm -hmm. sense of loss or the longing or the pain, a certain amount of it, maybe mm -hmm. your whole life. For sure. And I, I guess, JV, if we think of it, I mean, sometimes people ask me, like, how would you define grief or what's, mm. like, what's mm. the definition of grief? And I've thought about it for a number of years, you know, through through my own personal loss and through working with people for, for quite a long time with through loss and through grief. And quite recently, I found a really good way to describe grief, which is, you know, it's reaching for that attachment one last time and again, realizing it's not there. And that actually gave me goosebumps because that that to me is really what it is. It's reaching for your person or your thing or, you know, whatever it is and and that you know dig again of god i wish you were still here or gosh i wish that was still in my life or you know i wish that this was still the same really yeah. and i think for me that that's what kind of hit the nail on the head for me really because yes we go through these emotions that Cooper ross described of the denial and the anger and the bargaining you know the what ifs and the depression and the eventual acceptance yes of course we accept these things but we never lose our memories of our loss 
of our loved ones or the things that we lost. And nor do we want to because they matter so, so much. We love them so, so much. And grief is the price of love. That's really the epitome of it. The more we love, the more we grieve, really. And and then in that, I guess that that makes us see that the grief is really powerful and it's really meaningful and it's there for a very good reason. It's there to help us heal, really. And I think when we can get to that place where we can almost allow it with some compassion because we loved so much, maybe, maybe it feels like we can have more space for it. I'm not going to say it's easier because I don't think it is, but I think it it maybe lessens the struggle with it. It lessens the fight a little. It's interesting what you've mentioned now. The first first thing that that stood out for me is the word attachment Mm. that it's that last attempt to reach out uh, to that attachment and and that resonates a bit with how Freud thought about grief and loss that it is that loss of attachment and then you're in that space where now you have to find a new Mm. um, person or a new object to attach to again Um, so that was just interesting that maybe he had some point there and, and yeah. <laughs> so we'll give him, we'll give him that. We'll but give him that. We'll give him that. But it, it, it's, it's such a complex thing. We can't reduce it to just that because as mm. you said, memories remain. Um, mm. It's in a certain sense that the relationship also remains mm. in a different way. There's a transition also in me mm. Um mm-hmm. But because the memory remains, I keep, it's almost like I keep the relationship alive in a different way. Mm-hmm. The voices remain, the conversations mm-hmm. remain. Um, now it's internally, mm-hmm. but it's, mm-hmm. it's as if something remains. And I, um, it's interesting, uh, I think it was Simon Rubin who, who mentioned the two tracks he, 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 he described it as a two-way process where the one track is that typical stages or, or experiences of anger and, and sadness and um, denial and shock that whole Kubler-Ross stages or experiences. But there's a second track where it's that part of the, the relation, the attachment, the awareness the transition mm. that I go through as well, mm. but they, there's different layers to it. There is the, mm. the first, or not just first, the, the apparent bereavement process, but there's mm. something deeper as well that continues, and that might continue forever. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We are changed after something like that. 100%, 100%. And I mean, and of course, because... You know, and, and like you're saying, JV, you as an individual change because you are then trying to find your, your position in this world externally and internally without that person being physically present. You're still their daughter, their wife, their husband, their son, you know, whatever it is, you're still that that relationship, that person, but they're no longer here to bounce that off as well. And for sure it changes us. And I guess to, to, to answer your question a little bit more, part of the, I guess, the, the kind of framework or pathway that, that we follow 
at the lighthouse and at the, the Ramey Centre looks at, at those concepts that, that you have mentioned that, yes, we have the initial kind of reconciling or acknowledging that the loss has happened, that kind of grieving or, or mourning periods can, can go under as well. And the mourning periods are the very early stages of it. But then, so we call that um, like our, the first task of grief, which is written by a guy called um, Warden who, who looks at the tasks of grieving. And he says there's four tasks of grieving, with the first task being that, you know, reconciling the, the loss of the bereavement. And I don't think he's talking about logically reconciling. I think he's talking more about emotionally reconciling that, that this has happened. So coming out of that numb stage you know, coming into the stage where you feel like a bomb has gone off in your in your mind, really, where it feels like there is smithereens and shatters everywhere, because there quite literally is in your life. If somebody has passed away or you have had a really big significant loss, it feels like your whole life is crumbling. It feels like your whole world has been torn apart. So I think that that's all in, in encompassed or part of that first task where you're starting to feel that you're starting to notice that you're starting to kind of sit in it and and acknowledge all of these feelings that are coming every single day when you open your eyes in the morning and it hits you again and again and again and i think that that's that first task it's it's allowing that it's it's emotionally trying to reconcile that this is where i am right now this is what's happened in my life this is this is what i need to start to think about this is what i need to start to acknowledge once you've gotten to that stage or that task, and it's not something that we accomplish and tick a box and move yeah. on from, I then think, and, he, and Warden talks about the next task of trying to actually process the pain, which is, in my opinion, that, that part of trying to create space for the pain and the complexity and the layers of thoughts, feelings, you know, behaviours that come with the grief trying to allow all of them in, process them in whichever way you can, whether that's, you know, with friends or family or just one person that's close to you or seeking professional help or doing it through a grief group, you know, all of these things that can be really helpful in just helping you to speak your grief and speak your pain because it's the only thing that, I don't know if we could say help, but that definitely helps you to reconcile or get to a position of where you process your pain nothing can fix grief the only thing that can fix grief is bringing the person back and and we can't do that I wish on so many occasions I've wished that I can do that but we can't so to have that pain and those emotions witnessed is so important and and that's the second task that's really you know the task that people need to spend a long time on to allow and to honor their grief and to give it that space that it needs. I guess then the third task that when we move back and forth between all of these all the time is like you were saying, JV, of establishing who am I now in the world, in this physical world, but in my own internal world, you know, in my spiritual world, in my relationships, in my likes and my dislikes. Who am I now? Because I'm not the same after going through this. Who gets me? Who doesn't get me? You know, who do I who do I want to be in my circle when I know that, you know, things are so fragile? Life is so fragile. Life is so precious, really. And I guess once once we have kind of conceptualized and built that world and and recognized those tasks in grief, I think that's then when 
people or, or I or myself or anyone can get to a position where you're looking at Warden's fourth task, which is how do I how do I connect with my person? How do I keep that connection with them, even though they're no longer here? How do I keep their voices in my head, keep their memory going, you know, allow allow their memory without it sweeping me off my feet every time, knowing that I can I can remember them, I can say their name, you know, I can I can hold them in my heart without feeling like it's going to crush me all the time. And it's all possible, but it's it's a difficult, painful, I guess, bittersweet and beautiful process all at once and takes a lot of courage. Yeah. I think a lot of the time we, we are very aware and... As, as a society, acknowledge the affection, the emotional part of bereavement and of grief. But as you've mentioned now, there's a disorientation that happens in, in us cognitively, relationally, mm-hmm. physically, mm-hmm. just the physical sensations we go through, but culturally, um, spiritually, yeah. and, and a process a grieving or bereavement process might touch on all those aspects or some of those aspects. And as you say, we, it can facilitate a re-evaluation of so many different aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. That it's not just adjusting and accepting and, and maintaining in a certain way that relationship or person that I've lost, but it might cause a stirring in every aspect of my life mm-hmm. and lead to, to changes and transitions in so many ways mm-hmm. that it is more complex than the stages and steps and, and yeah. um, a tick box to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Or getting over. Yeah. Or getting over, typically getting over. Mm-hmm. Now, during these last four months, we have been in abnormal situation. Mm -hmm. of physical distance, um, isolation, separation, and having to go through a grieving process and, 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 well, just let's take that first um, initial morning where it's so intense and so overwhelming and then progressing into a longer bereavement process with not being allowed or able to be with the people with whom we would have just sat Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. in a lot of the older cultures there's rituals and practices of just sitting Mm -hmm. for days sitting Mm -hmm. just with a person Mm -hmm. i'm thinking in africa um, some of the other native cultures where Mm -hmm. you sit with that person for days on end there's no specific thing that needs to happen Mm -hmm besides containing that person in that moment. How has it changed or, or what has the, the impact been that you have seen in this time of COVID regarding how, how people experienced and dealt with bereavement and grief? 
I think for me, that's been one of the saddest parts of it, really, that it has changed. It, there's been so much change and people have been left, you know, finding out over the phone, over text, over Zoom, whatever it is that their loved ones have passed away. Not only have they not been able to see or speak to their loved ones, they then haven't been able to get home to their home countries for funerals. They haven't been able to even, you know, then get home afterwards to be with friends and family or to visit gravesides or to pay respects or, you know, to do all of these things that we do as part of our morning rituals in order to help us to start our grieving process as well and, and you know, to help us to feel like we're creating a space for it. And it has had a huge impact on people. It's had a huge impact on them feeling like they're able to start their grieving process. So they're stuck kind of in this limbo of almost kind of compartmentalizing, you know, did this happen? Did this not happen? Are they just, you know, they're still in my home country and they're fine and they're well, but but I'm here and so I can pretend that it's okay or is it not? And then it can all come crashing in and it's just so overwhelming. And I think it has really, it has really complicated people's grieving process because it has paused us in some way and it, it's made people feel like they haven't had the opportunity to do the things and feel the things that they want to feel which is another layer of loss so again we're talking about another grieving process on top of of that of the bereavement process as well potentially and you know coupling that we know when there's a big trauma and a big loss in people's life it also hits off previous grief so if somebody has been bereaved, they're in a pandemic, they can't get home, they can't meet their morning rituals. It's dredging up old grief as well. And there's the pandemic going on. It's just so many, so many layers of complicated and overwhelming emotions. And, you know, even, even clients that I'm speaking to and friends and family that I'm speaking to at the moment who haven't been bereaved, JD say to me, I don't know why, but I'm exhausted. Like I'm working from home and, you know, I'm, I'm not doing very much. I'm not going out very much. You know, I'm not going to the gym, but I'm still exhausted. And it is the processing of all of these, these things that's happening that is totally exhausting to people. That is a loss process as well. And then couple that if people have been bereaved, it's huge. It's really, really, really traumatizing to people. Actually, I think part of the trauma is that it's left people feeling very powerless, very helpless wanting to do so much, but physically not being able to do that, you know, wanting to go to their family members and hold their hands or organize a funeral or shake the hand of, you know, a friend whose loved one has passed away, wanting to just do something, anything that we can do to support the bereaved, people have not been able to do as part of their, their usual morning rituals. And it's really, really hard. What do we do then in this time if, yeah. if we're not able to go through what we have seen and, and learned and just as human beings tend to migrate mm -hmm. towards in order to, to manage and process loss? Um, I know restrictions have lifted to a certain extent, but it's still not completely open. Yeah. Um, in the UAE, there, there's a, a, a large expat community who still can't return 
mm-hmm. um, and visit family or friends. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do with it in this mm-hmm. time? What would you suggest mm-hmm. um, for, to, to our listeners? What mm-hmm. what guidelines um, or suggestions would you, would you want to give them? Well, first of all, I would say, JD, that it's really important to actually give yourself the space and time to acknowledge and name your losses. Like, take time out. Stop doing. Stop trying to push through. Stop even trying to pretend that you're okay if you're not and that you're managing if you're not. There's, that's only sustainable for so long. You know, it's not sustainable in the long run. And actually, these emotions will come out sideways and they will come out in ways that we don't want them to and that it's not helpful and that it's not healthy. So pause, take some time, sit down. If you feel you need to, to help you to connect with the emotion, maybe even play some sad music to help you to really link in with what's going on. And I would say, even if if you struggle to conceptualize it in your mind, write down everything that you're feeling at the moment that includes anything but especially losses every whether it's a bereavement or any other loss write them down list them the small things that you don't think are relevant like you know the fact that you didn't get to go to that friend's leaving dinner or you didn't get to mark their ending or you didn't get to um you know pick your child up that day or you didn't get to do whatever it was that actually is such a big, big loss for you. You didn't get, you weren't there, you know, to, to do a certain event with them because you, you couldn't because of social distancing. Write down every single loss and layer of loss that you can think of that's connected with your bereavement or your loss and name it and acknowledge it. Secondly, I would say that if somebody close to you has passed away and you haven't been able to um, attend, you know, the funeral or pay your respects, try to have a ritual, try to mark this in your own way, whatever that might be. So whether it's with friends or with family, you know, maybe even having a Zoom session where you light candles or you have a Zoom gathering or you have a Zoom dinner or, you know, you do whatever you can do to connect with people in whatever country they're in to mark this event, to mark this bereavement or or this ritual. Perhaps even writing your loved one a letter or you know if you can DHLing flowers or a card or whatever it is that you can do in your country to to mark your respects to people what I would also say is because people's lives have been turned upside down and yes they are returning to normal in some way shape or form although it's completely new new normal if you have been bereaved the complete I guess antidote to uncertainty and to feeling overwhelmed is to try and have some certainty and we would say you know the very small steps within that and all you need to do when you are initially bereaved is to have just a very very small routine of getting up in the morning taking a shower you know washing your face and having something to eat and then taking it moment by moment after that but really trying to do those three things as much as you can and then slowly slowly incorporating more structure and more routine into your day and most importantly reaching out that is the most important thing that we as human beings can do we are tribal we need each other you know grief is so all types of grief is so lonely it's so isolating 
reach out to who you can, to who feels helpful, you know, to, to who you know will listen, not fix, just listen. And taking care of that space for yourself because bereavement and loss, if we could see it physically, it's like a big open wound. It's something that you would be in ICU for. So treat yourself emotionally like that. Take things very slowly. Take things very gently. Any big trauma, any big loss, you know, that, that you know, causes trauma to people, we know takes at least six weeks to reconcile. It takes far longer with bereavement and it takes far longer when you have bereavement and a pandemic. So you do not need to be functioning normally. You do not need to be making big decisions in your life or, you know, be behaving in the way you were before. Take care of yourself, but follow those steps beforehand and always, always, always reach out. In saying that, have boundaries too. When you need quiet time, take quiet time and use your boundaries and say to people, you know what, today I'm overwhelmed. Let's, let's catch up tomorrow instead. And I really appreciate you holding me in mind and I need you to hold me in mind. It comes down then, what I hear is it comes down to being where you are, mm-hmm. taking the time to do what you need to do, mm-hmm. to be able to sit with it yourself. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the access to extended family or, or the normal practices or rituals, create your own. Mm-hmm. Reinvent. Make a space in your own home that can be your space where you mourn where you have a specific ritual to keep you aware of the process that you are going through, um, reach out, um, set up connection if it's is via Zoom. Yeah. Do that rather than isolating because it is already a, a an isolating experience. Um, set up as much structure and certainty as you can manage mm-hmm. um, and build on that slowly, mm-hmm. knowing that it takes time. And in this period of, of, mm-hmm. of the pandemic, probably even longer and even more so. Um, and practice self-care by also structuring what you can and how much you can. And knowing that it is okay, whatever space you find yourself in, it's okay. Be there. It 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 makes me think. Um, the the poem "Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night" by Dylan Thomas, mm-hmm. where he witnessed his dad's passing, and how his dad is just becoming more and more fragile and his dad's feeling of hopelessness, you mentioned, and powerlessness, and how it angered him. And that mm-hmm. is a, 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 a recurring theme, this, the two lines, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Mm-hmm. Um, where some people might feel that I'm angry about this and I want to, I want to rage about it. Mm-hmm. To allow yourself then to acknowledge that you want to rage about it. And then on the flip side, I, I, I read some research on, uh, it's by 
George Bonanno, who said that even laughter, some people have this almost contradictory experience or reaction to it, where there's a laughter and there's a, a lightness and a humor that they mm -hmm. use. And he says, mm -hmm. well, we tend to see that as bad. Mm -hmm. And and it's 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 protective. Absolutely. That it's there's protective. no template. Be where you Absolutely. are and and just be there fully and allow yourself to be it and feel it. Absolutely. And recognize that it's your journey. And it is, it is going to be different to everybody else. It will even be different to your family member who maybe yes. lost the same person. And actually, I think humor is such a lovely way to, to honor and hold your loved one's memory. And you might get there be before somebody else does. And that's absolutely fine. That's your journey. Yeah, definitely. What do the Lighthouse offer in this time to assist people? Because I think it's important that our listeners know that um, it is a lonely or might be a very lonely process. Mm -hmm. And even if you're in the UAE and you can't be with family, if, if um, a family member passed on in a, your, your home country and you can't return, mm -hmm. what do we offer? How can we assist people through a process of bereavement in this time? What, what do we offer people currently? So at the Lighthouse, um, we are, are incredibly proud of our Raimi Grief Centre, which is our um, free grief centre. It's, it's, it's the only one in the region, actually, which offers completely free grief services. So at the centre, we offer anybody who has been bereaved um, an initial free grief consultation, which is um, like a 40 to 60 minute session where we talk about your loved one who has passed away. We talk about your grieving process so far, what it feels like, you know, what's normal to you, what you might need. We also talk about the options going forward then that are available at the Raimi Grief Centre. Um, and quite often that is directing people to our grief groups, which are part of the Raimi Grief Centre. So we have a number of different grief groups available at the centre all of which are offered online at the moment. Um, we have our general grief group, which has been running for, gosh, I can't even think how many years now, um, quite a long time. We now also have, I guess, a, a more specialist um, grieving during COVID-19 group, which is specifically for people who have lost a loved one during COVID-19. Um, and their loved one may or may not have passed away from a diagnosis of coronavirus, but we're specifically thinking about the complexities of not being able to get home to a funeral or not being able to, um, you know, do do certain mourning rituals and, and grieving rituals for people. We also have motherless daughters grief group. Um, we have little lifetimes, which is for infant loss and pregnancy. We have survivors after loss to suicide grief group. All of these groups are offered online. I hope I've mentioned all of our groups. We have quite a number, um, which are really, I mean, I, I can say from having facilitated quite a number of these groups over the years, they're all incredibly powerful groups where people just really connect with each other. They're not psychoeducational groups. They are support groups. They're a space for you to be heard and to hear. 
um, to be witnessed and to witness really and, and to hold that space for your grief. Um, and they are completely confidential. Our, our main guiding principle in, in our grief groups is that we don't offer advice to each other because I think the bereaved can quite often hear lots of different well-intentioned pieces of advice from people of you should do this, you should do that. You know, that that is very well-meaning, but feels very frustrating when you think, you know what, if that if that would work, I would do it, but it won't. So that's our kind of guiding principle. They're the grief groups that we offer at the line at the Ramey Grief Centre. Of course, as part of the Lighthouse, then we, we also have individual sessions and we would really advise people who are struggling to acknowledge their grief, who feel that maybe it's becoming a little bit more complicated to approach us, come and talk to us, always set up an initial free grief consultation. And then if you don't feel grief, grief groups are for you, we also have the avenue to explore under the Lighthouse of individual therapy. I've mentioned earlier that some of the um, native cultures have that practice of sitting with a person for, mm -hmm. for days, having a, a circle of elders or, or um, family or friends that just sit with you. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds like these support groups offer that, especially mm -hmm. now in this time for people who are not able to to go and have family to sit with them or friends to sit with them, that mm -hmm. we create a space. Currently, it's online where, mm -hmm. where people can just come together and sit together, mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. others sit there with you, witness mm -hmm. it, hold the space for you, where mm -hmm. there's no specific expectation of what mm -hmm. you should do, how you mm -hmm. should do it, what you should say or should feel, where yeah. you can really just be with others yeah. also sitting together um, and then as you say and 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 um, when I had a, an interview with Dr. Salia as well that that individual process of having a guide having a therapist who can support you as well so that through a pr process of bereavement um, the transition and the change and the adjustment, the re-evaluation of things can be optimal or optimized or effective or just not as, as a lonely process as it can be that our listeners really um, take that to heart, that it's not mm -hmm. necessary to mm. do it on your own and we are here we offer the service mm. whether it be just a group where you can come and be and sit and be held in the space or if mm. you need um, more assistance in the in the form of individual therapy mm. that I really urge people to to make use of it mm. um, especially in this time as mm. it's co more complex and more compounded and mm. and and more confusing than than ever before Mm -hmm. um, that we are there. Yeah. Ashling, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you, JV. And for sharing. And um, I hope to do this soon. That because would be there, there's so much more. Just as I listened, you mentioned yeah. so much other areas of grief that we haven't touched upon mm -hmm. that maybe in the next meeting we can 
go a bit deep, deeper into some of those specifics um, mm. and, and pa- unpack that also to our listeners. But thank you for sure. your time and have a lovely day. And see you soon. You too. Thanks, JB. Take care. Bye.